Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Happy to be here on another November afternoon. It's getting close to the holiday season. I'm happy about that. It's always a pleasant time of year in certain ways. Not to mention that tax season is technically over by then and the new one begins in January. In fact, the latest IRS news is e-filing stops as of, I believe, Friday night at 11.59 p.m. is going to be the last. I, The way I read the release, it says Saturday it ends. So I believe it'll be gone Friday, late Friday night. Then they pick that back up in January for the 2022 tax year. State of California must have something together because they don't shut down for their e-filing season. I don't know how they manage that, but I'm, I'm sure they've got to have some sort of short shutdown, I would imagine, in January. But as for now, they're continuing uh, e-filing. And, of course, e-filing is pretty much the norm these days. I know my dad who did taxes most of his life, he just refused to e-file. He could have started toward the end of his career, but he just said, I don't want to do it because he knew he wasn't going to be working that much longer. He did work till he was about 80 years old, but he never had to e-file. But like I've said before, he was the first on the bandwagon in the 1970s doing computerized tax printing. They weren't e-filed, but they were printed on a computer. It was very interesting. And it really cut down the amount of work. So you go from you go from doing them by hand, which would be virtually impossible these days with all the crazy forms and calculations and things that affect other things. So by hand would be Pretty much impossible for a complicated return. Of course, nothing's impossible, but how long, how long, how many hours can you spend? Then you go to that, from that to the computerized printing and processing, like we, I started working on in, when I started in 1980, that was in effect. So we had technically computerized printing of tax returns. Then the e-file thing took off, and I didn't jump into it 100%. And that first couple of years that I was e-filing some and paper filing others, that was really bad. It was a bad decision on my part. I'll admit that was not the smartest thing. I should have gone 100% e-file. I just, for some reason, held back a little bit and got used to it. But of course, now it's mandatory. If you prepare more than 10 tax returns, I believe the cutoff is, you're forced to e-file all of your client's tax returns, which is fine. They've got it down to a pretty good science these days. So that's IRS news, other than the fact that they're very slow. And I have a couple of issues that I really need to talk to somebody at the IRS I try to work it out. Uh, The mail doesn't work too good these days. Ever since COVID, they've been way slower than ever. 
So I do try to get a phone call in now and then. It's frustrating because I go ahead and it acts like it's going to put me in the queue and get me on a phone call. And, of course, I can sit on hold and do a lot of other work, so I don't mind the hold part. The problem is after about five minutes of that rigmarole getting through all the numbers and punching numbers, then they come on the line, the recording comes on and says, we're sorry, but due to our high volume, you'll have to call some other time or some other day. And that's, I'd say, two-thirds of the time I get that. It's almost like I'm not really an early morning early bird, but I think I'm going to have to start getting in at about 7 a.m. to get through to the IRS, and uh, that's just part of the part of the new way things are. That's life. Interesting. We'll see what's going to happen with those 87,000 agents. I, I have a hard time finding good clerical help for my office. Uh, I've got some now, but it's not easy finding it. These are interesting times. What happened with COVID, it kind of, the COVID year of 2020 and all that mess, it kind of threw off things. It just made things really weird. Obviously, restaurants and bars closed. Gyms and beauty salons closed. It was a mess. But companies like Amazon did real well. People were setting up home offices for work. They couldn't go to a store right away, so mail order was... A great idea. So what's interesting is that Amazon reported their third quarter earnings recently. And the bottom line came in at 2.87 billion versus 3.1 the year before, which means that their net income was lower in this year than it was a year ago. The revenue was up by 14%. What that, what that sort of must mean is that revenue was up, but net was down, unless there was some weird thing with their number of shares. I mean, I didn't dig into this that far. What I'm saying is it makes sense with everything costing a lot more over the last year. And remember, gas prices hit their peak around June of 22. So the third quarter was July through September. And that would have had real high fuel prices, electricity. Bottom line is that inflation kicked in and Knock down the net earnings. I believe I haven't looked it up. I, I'm not going to look it up right now, but I believe their stock share price is down huge percentages from their highs, and I believe a huge amount just from a year ago. Things are not good when inflation starts. So I found a real good article that this guy, if you've heard of the theory of compound interest, of course, that's 
something everybody probably knows about, but there's a real interesting thing called the rule of 72 that comes in handy, but compound interest just means if you if you let money sit earning interest over time, it grows, and the higher the interest rate and the longer the time frame, the higher it grows, and it grows really high. And the rule of 72 is handy if you take the interest rate and divide 72 by the interest rate, that tells you the number of years it takes to double your money. So if you start with $100 and it's earning 8%, then uh, 72 divided by 8 is 9. So in 9 years at 8%, your $100 will double to $200. If the interest rate's 6%, it'll take 12 years because 72 divided by 6 is 12. And if the interest rate's 2%, it'll take 36 years. So you can see how the interest rates really kick up the return and the doubling faster for the compounding compounding of interest. That's also sort of considered the time value of money. That's a little bit on the backward side of that, but that's just saying that if there is any kind of inflation, your dollar's worth less in the future. So the way this place put it, and this website is called, I got to double check it. I just printed this. I thought it was interesting. It's called freedomfounders.com. And the article, let me get up to, I didn't, I don't print, you know, 10 pages of stuff for, for a quick business buzz analysis. This is from June of 21. That's around the time I remember June of 21. It's around the time I was in Lake Tahoe and inflation was becoming the buzzword and the Federal Reserve, our favorite group of non-governmental bankers who run everything, they were saying that inflation is transitory. Does everybody remember that? Well, that's been about a year and a half and it's only gotten worse. They had one month where it dipped down from 8.1 to 7.4. So they are claiming victory. Inflation is over. That doesn't mean a thing. Plus the way they play with the uh, play with the numbers. My dad used to always say, figures don't lie, but liars figure. So what this, what's that called again? Freedom Founders. What this is saying is that inflation is like the inverse of compound interest. So I'm just going to read a little bit of this. It says, with the compound effect, your initial investment in that asset grows and expands geometrically over time, generating larger returns. That's what I was just talking about, doubling your money with that rule of 72. It says, that's amazing. That's exactly what we want to do with our investments, right? Well, there's a reverse correlation to compound interest. It's called inflation. I call it a reverse compound interest. Inflation works the same way as compound interest, except in reverse, against you. The problem with inflation is it's hidden. It's nefarious. It's unseen. It's a tax that you never write a check for, but trust me, you're paying the price. Let's look back at the period of massive inflation in the 70s. The government had been pumping 
a lot of money into the economy to fund a series of social entitlement programs, beginning with the New Deal under FDR through Lyndon Johnson's Great Society programs related to the war on poverty. History doesn't lie. Over time, pumping money into the system creates inflation. In fact, uh, as an aside here, uh, the true definition of inflation is an increase in the money supply. It's not the resulting increase in prices. And we've definitely had an unbelievable increase in the money supply, as I've been telling you for years on Business Buzz, and it's just getting worse. Now that first break's coming up. I'm going to read a little bit more of this, but I think you get the point of what this guy's saying. Now, he says, Now most of you were not of age to remember that era, or if you were, you were too young to feel the effects of these economic conditions, personally. I was relatively young back then. I was in college and going to dental school, so I was aware of it. But it wasn't affecting me directly because I was still a student for the most part. It says, now we're at a point in time where we haven't been before in history. We have low interest rates, yet have massive, unprecedented amounts of stimulation. And we're already seeing the writing on the wall, ramping up, heating up inflation. So that's a good way to look at it, because as I've been saying, when inflation was high in the past, the interest rates were raised so much that you could still kind of cover the inflation with the earnings on your 15% treasury bond 30-year interest. These days, it's not the same because if inflation's 8% and now they're offering, they've, they've increased the rates faster than ever before up to about 4%, uh, that's still not covering the inflation. And ra- ramping them up to 4% has already hurt uh, a large part of the economy. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a healthcare plan that isn't affordable or you simply just don't like how it works, well, right now, during open enrollment, is a perfect time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more? They like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the industry. That's double. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for 30 years. It's shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. And here's why now is the perfect time to make the switch. If you join MediShare Complete by January 1st, they will waive your new member fees and you'll save an additional 10% off your first year. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month for all of next year. But again, it's a limited time offer. So yeah, you're not stuck. You've got a great option. Call now, 844-91-BIBLE. That's 844-91-BIBLE. 844-91-BIBLE. Many people assume that the pursuit of happiness is a human right. But according to the Bible, God doesn't exist to make us happy. He has a much higher goal. Be sure to listen when Chuck Swindoll describes the mysterious ways that God blesses his children. Tuesday on Insight for Living.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you can spend part of your busy afternoon with me. I try to be educational and entertaining. I've been so busy lately and also traveling some. I just haven't had a chance to really like line up some guests to talk about local business. I'm going to work on that. I just, I, I've, this is the busiest year I've ever had. It just, the older I get, the more work I can do. And I don't want to do that much. So I need to, I need to kind of balance out. Oh, I mean, I think I've just been in the habit all these years of taking on too much new business every year. And at some point it just gets to be a little too much. Of course, I'm not complaining that I'm busy. These days it would not be fun to have it any other way. I just want to go on with this article just for another minute because he talks about, first he shows a chart of the buying power of $100 over time. And $100 is now worth about $3 according to this chart. It says at a nominal inflation rate of 3%, $100 in 10 years will be worth only $74. In 15 years, that same 100 is worth only $64. Let's go up to an inflation rate of 5%. The same 100 in 10 years is worth $61, almost a 40% decline. In 15 years, it will decrease in value to $48, over a 50% loss in 15 years. I'm going to bump it up a little bit more to see the effect of a 10% inflation rate. And that's what we had in the early 80s. At an annual inflation rate, 10%, 10% in 10 years is worth only $38. That's almost a two-thirds cut in just 10 years. In 15 years, that $100 is worth only $24, over a 75% loss in purchasing power. That's a major tax. Now, the problem with this article, I'm not going to go much further because his solution is real estate. The problem I see with real estate, it's kind of obvious, if inflation's up and interest rates are way up, then mortgage rates are way up, which means the guy who bought a house at 3% mortgage interest, that house cannot be sold for the same price when the market is a 7% mortgage interest. It's, it's just kind of like, it's almost like a law. It's like the law of gravity. So it's almost like prices have to come down when mortgage rates go up as fast as they have. I know I was fortunate enough to refinance last year at a really low rate. Uh, I know someone who was buying a house and they ended up with a rate a little under 5%. And that was in around June. But now I think the rates are 7%. I believe they've backed down a little bit, but... I haven't been able to, like I say, I've been so busy, I haven't had time to pay attention, but I believe they're around 7% now, and that's, it's definitely hurting the number of home sales, it's hurting home builders, everything's just kind of slowing down in the real estate world. 
I'm going to have to get a realtor on here to talk to on Business Buzz. That would be interesting. See what see what it's like with uh, boots on the ground in the real world of real estate. I'm just not in touch with it daily like they would be. How about the business of medicine? I do have an article. How about the business of Canadian medicine? Has anybody read any Canadian news lately? This one's a doozy. I had to I had to share this. So Ontario, which is that's uh, the big I believe that's the biggest uh, most populated province in Canada. It's where Toronto's at and that's the, the biggest city by far. So it says doctors in Ontario are reportedly being advised to consider using psychiatric medicines on patients who refuse the vaccine. Whoops. During an interview at Let Freedom Reign Tour, physician and cancer researcher Dr. William Mackis, M-A-K-I-S, claimed that the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario sent out a note to doctors implying that their unvaccinated patients may be suffering from a mental illness and should be prescribed psychiatric medicine. Whoops. So this, and the comments on this guy, this Dr. Macus, he says, but the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario should not be making these kind of suggestions. This is extremely unethical and is a very, very slippery slope. If they're suggesting that people who wish to have bodily autonomy and don't want an experimental vaccine, that there may be something mentally wrong with them, that is a very, very dangerous, slippery slope that we're on. So I'll let you guys research a little more. I just, uh, that's a real big pet peeve of mine. What happened to my body, my choice? Wasn't that the big marching sound in the, in the women's lib movement, my body, my choice. What happened to that? Seems like it's different this time around. They say, no, it's not different this time around. It seems like it's different this time around. Anyway, you can imagine what I think of all that and that whole subject in a roundabout way also has to do with why I have new staff but I won't go into detail. I'm not a doctor. Don't listen to me for medical advice. I'm just telling you, I'm just reading a little Canadian news. Love those Canadians. If they only had a constitution, they'd be so much happier. So when I was talking about those interest rates going up, what's happening now is that, as I've said before, when interest rates rise, bond values and bond prices go down. In other words, if everyone's earning 2% interest or 1% like they were for the last 14 years or 12 years or whatever, totally unnatural uh, low interest rates, if I bought a bond in 2013 
or 15, whatever. I don't remember when the low period was. So if I bought a bond in 2015 and earn 1%, and the new bonds are paying 4%, let's just say I spent $100,000 for a bond paying 1%. Trust me, I'm not stupid enough to have done that. But let's just say your broker did it in your 401k, which is very possible. Now that same bond, like the 10-year treasury bond or the whatever, the 30-year treasury bond, the one that is safest, safest investment in the world, they say, it's now paying 4%. Which bond do you think someone's going to buy? They're going to buy a new one paying 4% or are they going to buy mine paying 1%? Well, here's the way it works. They're going to buy mine and they're going to offer me something like $96,000 for it. And then it turns out to yield 4%. I don't know the exact, I'd have to do the numbers calculated. But that's the way it works. When interest rates go up, your bond values go down. And I'll tell you something interesting about that right after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. upon the Holy Spirit? The Messiah did. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. I'm kind of asking you the question as we look at our Messiah, does the Holy Spirit rest upon you? David Hawking explains why we need to let the Holy Spirit rest on us this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge. Defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. Pacific Justice Institute has filed an opening brief for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The suit seeks to restore free speech rights and the right to distribute gospel tracts for a Northern California Christian evangelist. You see, for years... This faithful man attended multicultural events, especially the Hmong New Year Festival, at the 34 million square foot space in the California State Fairgrounds. Now, despite no complaints, the evangelist was asked to leave the festival because the track distribution was limited to only 36 square feet. That's right, only 36 square feet. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while because you have the idea that church is not relevant to your life. But churches have changed a lot. Here's what some people have to say about churches these days. I think there's just really a closeness among the people. There is life here that that is not in this world that um, this world has, doesn't have to offer. I really like the positive environment. They really provide an opportunity for everyone to get involved. Church, look around and check one out. There's one out there for you. It's a real loving community. A message from Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad to be with you this afternoon. It's almost holiday season. Everybody stop stop working hard. Don't work too hard. It's the holidays. I think that's what the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board said because they were in, they were nowhere to be found this morning. Love those guys. Actually, they're they're pretty nice people when you actually work with them and talk with them. They're just regular people. They just happen to. Hmm. I could not work for the. I could not work for the government. I'm sorry. If you do, more power to you. I could not do it. I've read too much. As I've said before, for 40 years of reading, I've read too much. I couldn't do it. It always amazes me, like, they advertise attorneys for your accident case, and they say so-and-so worked for the insurance companies for 40 years, so he knows how they get around and how they do stuff. And it's like... You really trust that guy? I mean, which side's he going to be on in six months? It's kind of like going to a tax guy who used to work for the IRS. It's like, you really want to go to a place, a guy who worked for the IRS? I'm not saying they're bad people, but would you want to do that? I wouldn't. That's just my personal opinion. It's still legal to have a personal opinion, I believe, the last I checked. Uh, but honestly, these days, you never know. So that thing about interest rates, for the first time in a long time this year, the old adage of Your investment advisor might put you 60% in the stock market and 40% in the bond market. Normally in the past 40 years, when stocks go down, bonds go up. When bonds go down, stocks go up, and you kind of balance everything out. For the first time in 40 years, both stocks and bonds went down. So if you notice that your stock account or your 401k took a pretty decent hit over the last seven or eight months. It's because we're in uncharted territory. We have a rising interest rates, so it's making the bonds go down in value. But we also have a stock market that's absolutely, in my opinion, I'm not a financial I'm not a certified financial planner. I'm just a CPA who likes to observe and likes to share what he observes. It's just my opinion. Stock market is way overpriced based on what you're actually getting. That's for you and, how, how do they say that? That's between you and God. So this is an article from September, but it's talking about banks and uh what's called the Accumulated Other Comprehensive Income, AOCI. Banks with available for sale securities have seen significant unrealized losses on their bond portfolios as interest rates have risen. That's what I was talking about. While not an immediate cause for regulatory concern, the change in bond portfolios has shaken up investors and the bank 
mergers and acquisitions market. Generally accepted accounting principles, and I'm a CPA, I did learn those in order to become a CPA. I choose not to audit financial statements. I don't even prepare reviews or audited financial statements. Uh, Some CPA firms do. I choose not to. I prefer to, I mean, I can't call myself a specialist. I don't have a special degree, but I prefer to consider myself an income tax person as in the CPA world. So generally accepted accounting principles, which used to mean something, I won't get into all that, require unrealized losses or unrealized gain in a different environment on these available for sale securities to be reflected on the balance sheet as accumulated other comprehensive income. The drastic change in the interest rate environment in 2022 has created the perfect storm for these losses to balloon. Interest rate increases coupled with soft loan demand and desire for yields have led to, has led to banks holding large investment portfolios comprised of securities with longer maturities, which in turn means significant, albeit unrealized losses. One real impact of this issue is with merger and acquisition participants where tangible book value, which according to general accepted accounting principles, reflects these unrealized losses, aha, is a significant determinant of pricing and overall deal attractiveness. Bank M&A activity, that's mergers and acquisition activity, in early 2022 was significantly impacted by buyers and sellers needing to understand the impacts on their balance sheet. And likely more than one deal fell through due to these unexpected, unrealized losses. So there's a lot of rigmarole. There's a lot of rules these guys have to follow. But bottom line is, if you're a bank with a hundred, you know, a hundred billion dollars of treasury bonds, and now they've declined by ten or fifteen percent in value, well, you've just lost fifteen billion dollars on your balance sheet. That's what that article is basically saying. And you know, they try to make this all sound like it's rocket science and oh nobody can figure all this out it's so complicated it really isn't that complicated when you hear about the word derivatives which are like i believe uh, i believe warren buffett has a famous quote something like they are the nuclear bombs of finance called derivatives well the definition of a derivative In fact, I'm not going to look it up. All a a derivative is, is some sort of investment product or vehicle or contract or whatever you want to call it. It's something that relies on an underlying price for its value. That would include a futures contract. They have what are called forward contracts. So there's options. Um, everything in the world of investing, and since the computer, especially since about 1980 when they started going wild with all these computerized ideas, mortgage-backed securities, all these things, 
almost everything in the entire financial world is some sort of derivative and because it derives its value from some other price. So if you have a, a futures contract of corn, corn futures, well, that's, that's a derivative because it derives its value from the price of something. Of course, the problem we all have is that prices are artificially manipulated. And uh, if you want to look up an interesting story, there's a guy named Rob Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y, a Canadian guy. He died a, well, he wasn't young, but I still call it an untimely death. And he happened to have been really, really talking about bad things that the financial world is doing with uh, what's called the uh, plunge protection team. And so all of these prices are not, they're really not free market prices. I'm coming up on that last break. I got a lot more things to talk about. I hope you don't mind hearing me ramble on. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. This is Ken Ham encouraging all churches to start their thinking with God's Word. Charles Darwin lived over a century and a half ago, and yet we still feel his impact today. For example, public schools teach our children they're nothing but animals. So why should we be surprised that young people embrace various kinds of sexual immorality, celebrate killing unborn babies, and live to do whatever feels good and right to them? After all, if they're just animals, there's no higher moral authority than themselves. Darwin believed scripture's authority wasn't important, and we see this same attitude today. The more that evolutionary ideas pervade the culture, the more we'll see people abandon God's word and we'll see moral collapse around us. There's so much more to discover about how to view our world when you go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or read a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. America, bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. America, bless God. Which do you hate more, raking leaves or bagging them up? I'm Danny Lifford with tips for today's homeowner. Stay tuned and we'll talk about an easy way to reduce some of the hassle of leaf collection right after this. Anticipation is building. The holidays are just around the corner and at the Home Depot, we can't wait. With Black Friday savings all through November, you can count down to Christmas early with a Santa Countdown Inflatable Special Buy only $69.98. Or anticipate when friends and family come to visit with an entrance full of LED lights that will welcome them and the holidays with open arms. Get the holiday magic started early. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
I don't know anyone who loves raking leaves, but it's a necessary evil during this time of the year. But I have to confess that I like collecting the leaves even less than raking them. My biggest gripe is this. When I use a garbage can to hold the bag so I can dump the leaves into it, a vacuum develops inside the can as the bag fills up and slowly pushes out the air between the bag and the garbage can. That suction makes it nearly impossible to remove a full bag of leaves without completely destroying it. So I decided to sacrifice a garbage can for the cause. What I did is I drilled a dozen or so holes in the sides and the bottom of the plastic trash can. Now there's no vacuum and no hassle and leaf raking is getting a little more fun. I'm Danny Lipford with tips for today's homeowner. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, on on duty. Reporting, sir. So I found an interesting title, so I looked it up a little bit. It's There's a place called Fred on the website. It's the St. Louis Fed, and they have a lot of measures and graphs and statistics, and I'm not an economist per se. I don't know which feds do what, but I, I do know the St. Louis Fed seems to do a lot of graphs and reporting and reports. And I think all these Federal Reserve Banks, what I've heard, there's 12 of them. You know, your dollar bills have A through L. Uh, a is Boston. L is San Francisco. B is New York. And all the other ones are in between. I can't remember them all. I mean, I, I think I know them all, but I don't remember which letter they are. There's Dallas. There's Kansas City. There's Chicago. There's, I think, Richmond, Virginia, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm not sure if Denver might be one. Eh, maybe not. But there's no Los Angeles, just San Francisco. But A through L, that's what your dollars show. So... What's interesting is I was looking up this, that article I just read about the available for sale securities and the banks are going to have big hits on their balance sheet because interest rates have gone up. So I was looking that up a little further and I found an interesting chart. It's the net unrealized gains or losses on available for sale securities, all commercial banks. And what caught my attention when I first looked this up was discontinued. It's almost like they've stopped. I think it means they've stopped reporting this or else they reworked the formula and now it's called a different name. But what's really interesting is this chart is one of the scariest. It's like the second worst looking chart I've ever seen other than other than paper silver. Um, this chart shows that in the last year or so, the losses have gone higher than ever on this whole chart. It just They're just straight down. So the, those are net unrealized losses. So the way the banks get away with their shenanigans on this is they say, oh, well, if we hold this million dollars worth of bond, we'll just say billion, it's all billions, trillions. The big banks are trillions. They say, okay, if we hold $100 billion in these bonds, 
We don't need to write them down because we're going to hold them to maturity. So if they have a 30-year bond that they bought five years ago and they spent $100 million on this chunk of bonds, it's now probably worth $90 billion, But they don't have to write that down because they say, oh, we're going to hold it to maturity and in 25 years we'll get our full $100 million, which is true. But like that article I read earlier was saying, what is that $100 million going to be worth after 25 years of 8% inflation or more? It's going to be virtually you know, down to $10, 10 billion. The point is the shenanigans these guys get away with because they basically write their own rules. Uh, you'd be amazed if you looked this up, and I, I can't remember the exact dates on all this, but if you look up these big banking acts like Dodd-Frank and some of these other, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the very first day of Ronald Reagan's uh, term, I believe his very first act on his first day was to sign into law the savings and loan law. And, of course, we all know what happened there. That was the biggest boondoggle bailout, crooked thievery of all time was savings and loans back in the 80s. And that, I believe, was Reagan's first act as president. I also believe George Bush, I call him Junior. I'm not getting into the initials of all these Bushes. I believe George Bush's first act was a major credit card bank overhaul law. What I'm What I'm getting to is if you do a little research, which I haven't done lately and I'm not going to do it right now, it turns out that these laws are basically written by the bank. The banks like Citibank, the big four, it's uh, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Citibank, no, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. Those are the big four that basically run everything. And if you look into these laws that get pushed through our crooked Congress, they're basically written by these bankers. It's unbelievable. But anyway, so they get to have, I mean, if if I am presenting, if I'm trying to buy, an, if I'm trying to get a new mortgage or get it, buy a new house, and the bank wants to see my financial statements, and if I say I've got $100,000 of treasury bonds in my portfolio, but they're actually only worth eighty, dollars uh, do you think they're going to make me mark those down? What do you think? Let, let's have a poll. I think they're going to make me mark them down to present fair market value. But nope, the banks don't have to. And the other thing is, you can pretty much rest assured that with all these things happening with interest rates right now, I said it a year ago before the interest rates went up, that these big banks are broke. They're bankrupt. And it's I, guarantee, I can't guarantee anything because I don't know. But I guarantee all these big banks are completely bankrupt. And they're living on basically intravenous vein feeding of all this trillions of dollars in overnight funds uh, 
every night that go through this banking system. And, uh, I mean, I would bet, I can't guarantee anything, but I would bet that they're all basically bankrupt and they're on life support. So I think I'm going to save a couple of these articles for some other business buzz because this has been a pretty intensive business buzz show, in my opinion. Not a lot of good news. I honestly, I honestly just hope that everybody at least thinks about the fact that their money may not be safe in the way they thought it was and that they need to at least put part of their wealth into something that's not going to go straight down. And uh, there's so many reasons that the dollar is going to go down in value. It's not even funny, but I don't have time today for that. It has to do with what I've talked about before, the BRICS nations doing trade without using the dollar, which means there'll be much less demand for the dollar. So I'm just going to end with a random, I'm going to end with a random course lesson just for fun because I've only got a few minutes left. And I just opened lesson 152, don't ask me why. And the title is The Power of Decision is My Own. No one can suffer loss unless, oh, hey, we were just talking about bank losses. This is absolutely perfect. What, what, uh, what a coincidence. No one can suffer loss unless it be his own decision. No one suffers pain except his choice elects this state for him. No one can grieve nor fear nor think him sick unless these are the outcomes that he wants. And no one dies without his own consent. Nothing occurs but represents your wish, and nothing is omitted that you choose. Here is your world, complete in all details. Here is its whole reality for you, and it is only here salvation is. You may believe that this position is extreme and too inclusive to be true. Yet can truth have exceptions? If you have the gift of everything, can loss be real? Can pain be part of peace or grief of joy? Can fear and sickness enter in a mind where love and perfect wholeness abide? Truth must be all-inclusive if it be the truth at all. Accept no opposites and no exceptions, for to do so is to contradict the truth entirely. Salvation is the recognition that the truth is true, and nothing else is true. This you have heard before, but may not yet accept both parts of it. Without the first, the second has no meaning. But without the second, is the first no longer true. Truth cannot have an opposite. This cannot be too often said and thought about. For if what is not true is true, as well as what is true, then part of truth is false, and truth has lost its meaning. Nothing but the truth is true, and what is false is false. This is the simplest of distinctions, yet the most obscure. But not because it is a difficult distinction to perceive. 
It is concealed behind a vast array of choices that do not appear to be entirely your own. And thus the truth appears to have some aspects that belie consistency, but do not seem to be but contradictions introduced by you. As God created you, you must remain unchangeable with transitory states by definition false. Kind of like transitory inflation. We were just talking about that. And that includes all shifts in healing, I'm sorry, all shifts in feeling, alterations in conditions of the body and the mind, in all awareness and in all response. This is the all-inclusiveness which sets the truth apart from falsehood and the false kept separate from the truth as what it is. Is it not strange that you believe to think you made the world you see as arrogance? God made it not. Of this you can be sure. Now that those three sentences are pretty much the whole basis of the of the course. So I'm going to read them again. It is not is it not strange that you believe to think you made the world you see is arrogance? God made it not. Of this you can be sure. What can he know of the ephemeral, the sinful, and the guilty, the afraid, the suffering, and lonely, and the mind that lives within a body that must die? You but accuse him of insanity to think he made a world where such things seem to have reality. He is not mad, yet only madness makes a world like this. Well, I picked an excellent lesson, and that was only half of it. Now, the, the prayer or the, uh, the actual working of this lesson I'm going to skip to is three lines. The power of decision is my own. This day I will accept myself as what my Father's will created me to be. So that's, the, that's how you practice Lesson 152. Anyway, I like Lesson 152. And it fits in with all my banking stuff that we talked about today. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll be with you next time. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Please have a great week and a great holiday. And I will be back very soon on another episode of Business Buzz. Reason to believe. The evidence. Exhibit 1B. Watching a perfect pass thrown from the quarterback to a receiver sure looks easy. But it's a lot more complicated than you ever imagined. It all starts in the brain of the quarterback. The brain contains more than 30 billion special cells known as neurons. And there are another 250 billion special cells that facilitate communication between each neuron. Incredibly, every one of the 30 billion neurons is connected to every other neuron in a staggering degree of complicated connections. As the quarterback throws the ball, the receiver's brain calculates the trajectory of the football by bringing in factors such as the receiver's path, all calculated in a split second. This information is instantly sent to the legs and arms to move the receiver into position to catch the ball. It may look simple on TV, but it's really hundreds of billions of minute calculations beyond the capacity of the most complex computer on Earth. Could that kind of complex design really happen by random chance or intelligent design of a creator? 
One more reason to believe. A message from Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.